You must tell me all your secrets. Remember, we must share everything together. Again, this is Annie Rose Malamet, and you're listening to Girls, Guts, and Giallo. I have a very special episode for you today. I am actually a huge fan of my guest. I'm a huge fan of her podcast, Nympho Wars. And I am here with Macy Rodman. Hi, Macy. Hey, everybody. (laughs) And Macy, I know a lot of my patrons are also huge fans of Nympho Wars, but... If you could introduce yourself, who you are, what you do, what you're about. My name is Macy Rodman. I I guess I'm primarily a musician, but I also have a podcast called Nympho Wars that is like an absurdist comedy podcast. Um, cover a lot of <laughs> a lot of ground topic wise, and yeah, I do kind of a little bit of everything. But those are my my main two gigs. I'm a huge fan of your music, huge fan of your podcast. I was thrilled that you uh, agreed to be on to talk about this. I don't even know what adjective <laughs> to use for this movie for Blonde, the new Netflix movie. Yeah. Um, and it, uh, so this is Twitter has been a buzz about this film. <laughs> Um, I knew that it was coming out. It's it's a three-hour epic directed by Andrew Dominic, who also directed such movies as The Assassination of Jesse James. And uh, it stars Anna de Armas. And it is a three-hour epic about the fictionalized life and times of Marilyn Monroe based on the book Blonde by another kook uh joyce carol oates <laughs> that book came out in 1999 and i've read the book but macy it's my understanding that you haven't read it i have not read it i actually don't think that i've read anything by joyce carol oates i kind of know her at mostly as like a twitter reply guy these days <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for those of you who are fortunate enough not to know about this, uh, Joyce Carol Oates is an epic shit poster. Um, <laughs> last year, she posted like a house decorated for Halloween, and she tweeted that uh, people who decorate for Halloween, they simply could never, they must not understand grief and how horrible it is to see. <laughs> a dead loved one mocked in a Halloween display through the image of a ghost or something. I don't know. It was crazy. Those are bold words coming from the writer of Blonde. I like. I know, exactly. <laughs> that, that is like maybe the most like brutal <laughs> imagery that one could conjure, but okay, a skeleton. Exactly, a fake skeleton, like a, for, for a, a, a haunted house. Um, <laughs> that's not okay, but defacing a real person <laughs> is completely <laughs> fine. Yeah, she basically built a haunted house on the dead body of Marilyn Monroe. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know. right. Yes. 
it's I mean I've so I've read the book you know there's a lot of parts of it that are great and a lot of it that is just Joyce Carol Oates being Joyce Carol Oates I mean I always you know distastefully joke that Joyce Carol Oates is like obsessed with rape like every Uh (laughs) single book every single book I've read of hers is just graphic in the details (laughs) of rape or it hinges on rape in some way um Uh it's a lot and if you're gonna read a Joyce Carol Oates book that's kind of (laughs) part of it beware beware. (laughs) yeah exactly you know and there's a lot to like in this book but then there's You know, she's a great writer. Like, she has a mastery of her craft, but what she Mm -hmm. chooses to use it for um, (laughs) is questionable. So there is a book called The Many Lives of Marilyn Monroe by Sarah Churchwell that... Basically, oh, yes, this shed a lot of light for me. Right, oh, you yeah. sent me these passages, yeah, yeah, yeah. This she so the the book, The Many Lives of Marilyn Monroe, is basically deconstructing all of the mythos around Marilyn Monroe, and she has a chapter on Norman Mailer's sexist tome on Marilyn Monroe that's simply called Marilyn, and uh, and then she compares it to Blonde by Joyce Carol Oates. And Churchwell says that, you know, while one of these authors is a famous misogynist and the other is like a supposedly strident feminist, both of these novels are pretty much the same, where they presume that Marilyn Monroe is already a fantasy and thus not only suited to fictional exposition, but dependent on it. And they also focus solely on the tragedy of her life. Mm -hmm. So they're both... You know, and they're they're both obsessed with rape and abortion, um, <laughs> all of these these things, which may or may not have happened. Like we really don't right. know. Yeah. Um, and instead of offering like a fictional subversion of these tropes, they both just reify them. Uh, yeah. You know, and I feel like Churchwell kind of feels. You know, if they're going to go complete into fantasy, it, it ha- we have to question why it's it the everything that they're fictionalizing is like these horrible, tragic, you know, shameful things. Um, yeah. And why is fantasy like the fantasy that you're creating is like not far from like rumored truth or like presumed truth or like the worst version of what could be the presumed truth it's like you you could have like an alien you could have her head get cut off and then she comes back to life anything could happen you know she could be batman (laughs) like why is it just that she gets raped and like forced into abortions and constantly For yeah, three like hours. Little, little Red Riding Hood, like, led into, like, uh, substance abuse. Like, yeah. That was the my main takeaway from the movie was, like, she just is kind of stumbling through all these things. And there's no drive for this character. It's just, like, pushed into a rape, pushed into an abortion, pushed into these movies that she doesn't really want to do. You know, it's like. Yeah. And the the 
book is much the same. Um, mm-hmm. in, in interviews, um, Oates referred to Marilyn as like a lost girl. Uh, <laughs> and she was clearly very only interested in the tragedy of her life. She also said, you know, that her sexuality kind of imprisoned her. And yeah, I mean, it, it imprisoned her. But as is the case for like all women living under patriarchy, it's also a source of right. financial freedom. Right. And this is when I sort of feel like as a former sex worker, I feel like there's just like a clear delineation between like those of us who know what that's like and those of us who don't. <laughs> yes. Yes, and in my in my like initial viewing of the movie, I was like, this is very because I didn't really know much about the novel. I was like, this is a very like guy man like take on on like a troubled woman's story and like what you would presume to happen. But it's actually just like it has nothing to do with gender. This take, it's like just someone who's like kind of a voyeur and imagining what someone would be like that has this life that is affected by sexuality or someone that flaunts sexuality, someone that like can't imagine that or like can't imagine it in that way thinks, Oh, must've been, must've been a, a sexual violence in their past must be childhood molestation or something. It's like, if you haven't lived that, it, it, you're imagining you're you're you have to create this fantasy because you can't you simply can't imagine it you know yeah it's very it becomes very lurid whereas like for those of us who have experienced like molestation or hyper hypersexualization it's actually quite mundane mm-hmm. it's like yes <laughs> it's not um the lurid fantasy it's almost like a fantasy it's you yeah. know like tragic tragedy porn or whatever you want to call it um right and oats at the time like when it came out she really insisted that this is a work of fiction and should be read solely as that and not a biography which you know kind of impossible in some ways um in yeah. at she kind of railed against at the time, like the literalism of the critics, but the novel itself plays with that switching between real and imagined. So for example, some of the characters have their real names like Norma Jean or John Houston and others have abbreviations like Mr. Z, the rapist in the beginning is Daryl F. Zanuck and some of them are renamed outright, like Marilyn Monroe's first husband, who's not in the movie. Um, James Darty becomes Bucky Glazer. And then some of them are just archetypes, like Joe DiMaggio is the ex-athlete and Arthur Miller is the playwright. So she plays with that herself. Um, so it feels a little disingenuous to say that it's complete fabrication or that people are being too literal um, when she herself is sort of introducing that into the conversation. Yeah, and and I can see that being an interesting exercise if there's someone that we don't really know about filling in the gaps. But yeah, it's 
there is a lot that we know about Marilyn Monroe. In the Andrew Dominic um, interview that you sent me, I can't remember who uh, uh, was speaking with him. Uh, Christina Newland. Christina Newland, and it was for the Venice Festival, I think. Um, she was like, well, <laughs> why, why is none of her, like... Um, creating her own film studio or uh, her like um, advocating for Ella Fitzgerald to like get get more work in any of these truths that are getting mixed up with the fiction and Andrew Dominic was just basically like uh, I don't care about that like <laughs> I just want to see her like get the shit beat out of her you <laughs> I mean know? that's basically what he said he's yeah, like yeah. that's not what it's about like it's about the yeah. fact that she this person killed herself and it's like first of all is that that's not confirmed i don't think like she she could have just accidentally od'd and which happens all the time it's not that crazy when there when there wasn't as as much uh knowledge about uh drug use as we have now that is so easy to happen (laughs) Exactly. It's not, we don't actually know if she set out to end her own life. So it even, you know, and of course, like you could argue like, well, whether she tried to or not, she did, which like, yes. But I do feel like there is a difference between someone sitting down and saying like, I am going to commit suicide. And then like the passive suicidality that happens when people are struggling. And yeah. To just come from that place immediately and that's what we're moving towards here and all of everything in her life is pointing to why that happened. I mean, first of all, like, it's not linear like that in real life. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just not. And, you know, it's it's already coming from like a very strange assumption about (laughs) even how suicide functions. (laughs) So (laughs) it's... Yeah, it's and then you know there's Oates kind of um, she just picks and chooses like love affairs to focus on or you know um, tragic things that might have happened uh, and Sarah Churchwell says while it might be convenient to protest that in writing fiction they are permitted poetic license in the case of Marilyn this is disingenuous because the central question about the myth of Marilyn Monroe is precisely the question of where fiction in fact begins yeah true that's the whole I mean that's the whole thing and she also says that Oates and Mailer choose to claim the right of the novelist most often to invent moments that are related to shame and degradation, especially around sex. Um, There's a presumption in the novel and in the film that Marilyn was a naive victim mired in sexual shame. And a lot of the, if we are to sort of go with all of the accounts from her supposed former lovers, like the woman loved sex. So Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's a very, it's it's one way to look at it. There's that threesome relationship in the book and in the, the film, which cracks me up. Um, <laughs> it's, it's so crazy. Like, what, what is that dynamic? It's like two gay guys, but they're not really gay. But like, and she's just kind of like, 
I don't even know how she ended up there. Like, and they're they're like, they're, it's just cliche on top of cliche. It's like the the Charlie uh, Chapman um, son character is like, you know, it's like people always think that. It, it's uh, a blessing to be the son of a famous person, but it's actually a prison. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so Get out it's, of here. It's like bashing you over the head with the <laughs> entire metaphor of the movie. Um, yeah. And I mean, obviously, like this isn't a real relationship. Like this did not happen in real life. Um, mm-hmm. There's you know, it could have, um, but there's <laughs> one mention of such a thing in all of the accounts of Monroe in the book Goddess, The Secret Lives of Marilyn Monroe. Anthony Summers says that uh, she had a brief affair with Chaplin Jr. in 1947 and with Edward G. Robinson in Jr. in 1953. Summers' source was a friend of both Chaplin and Robinson, and he called the three men a trio and explains that Marilyn saw us all occasionally, together or separately, for the rest of her life. They were all depressives, Marilyn, Charlie, and Eddie, and they would hunt each other down when things were bad. And, I mean, I, I could believe that. Um Sure. Yeah, but you know, friends then, like that. Yeah, totally, <laughs> exactly. Um, but you know, then to, and then you know, I don't know. I just think Joyce Carol Oates wanted to fuck some bisexual guys. To be honest, like it's <laughs> very again, can't blame her. I, <laughs> I mean, that's like some of the only stuff in the book that's really um, celebratory. In its eroticism, uh-huh. if I recall. And that was actually um, some of the only scenes in the film that were joyful sexuality. Um, like the scene where they're in the movie theater and, um, you know, feeling each other up. Like, it's funny, but you're also like, okay, good for them. That was also, like, one of the points where it was like, okay, we're we're going fantasy here. Like, there's no way that Marilyn Monroe would be able to go to a movie theater watching one of her own movies and no one notice her getting fingered in the, and made out with in the movie theater on flanked on either side. Like, <laughs> that's a fun kind of fantasy to think about, you know? <laughs> yes, totally, yeah. And, you know, it. there's also something to be said for portraying men being bisexual. Um, We don't see that a lot in movies. Mm -hmm. There was something really beautiful about the threesome scene, even though I was, like, laughing. The way that it was shot, uh, where the the bodies are, like, stretched across the screen. I actually thought that was... Oh, my God. And then Niagara Falls. Yes, the Niagara Falls when they... The Niagara Falls when they... (laughs) (laughs) That was kind of, that. I mean, that was so audacious. It was kind of brilliant, you know? Yes, I actually kind of loved that part. And, you know, <laughs> Sarah Churchwell, she, you know, no, nobody gets it quite right here, in my opinion, um, with all of the views here of, of these dynamics. I think, you know, Sarah Churchwell quotes a passage from Blonde, where Marilyn is having a threesome with her boys and you know she's getting uh, she's getting DP'd and you know <laughs> very good for her moment and Sarah Churchwell 
is like, what about this is empowering? And I'm like, okay, well, let's not go the complete other way (laughs) where like anything about her having sex is immediately degrading. You know, so there's kind of I think nobody really knows how to talk about those. And that's one of the enduring mysteries of her is that people don't really know how to talk about it, I think. Yeah, I mean, that was like, that was kind of a, like, it kind of got that reaction out of me also. I was like, grossed out by the film, but I was like, but it's also just so boring that I'm like, why am I grossed out? Why do I feel like sleazy right now? It's like in a way it does succeed at that where it's like makes you um it made me like feel prudish and like also and the the complete reverse of that you know in like different parts of the film you know oh my god maybe in that way it's kind of brilliant i don't know it's like <laughs> i'm like every everything that's happening I diametric I like diametrically resist to, but it's like making me like go to the extremes of either position, you know. And now for a short break. Girls, Guts, and Giallo will be right back after this sponsored message. The sex life of this starlet might be supposedly tragic, but that doesn't mean yours has to be. Whether you're playing by yourself or with a partner, Spectrum Boutique has everything you need to keep your waterfall drenching the sheets. Spectrum Boutique is a sex toy shop that takes a no-nonsense, sex-positive approach to sex toys and sex education. They only carry toys that are made from body-friendly materials with anatomy and pleasure in mind and take a non-gendered approach to categorize their sex toys. Spectrum Boutique carries everything from confetti-colored dildos to baldos, aka dildos for your balls. Why diddle yourself or jack off with hands when there are vegetable-shaped vagildos? I know listeners of this podcast will appreciate the absurd joy of getting railed with silicone asparagus. And you can jizz and squirt with peace of mind because their selection of toys and lube are innovative and body safe. There's even a filter that lets you sort toys by girth and length so your eyes don't end up bigger than your hole, if you know what I mean. I hate when that happens. But maybe your hole is already a veteran, and you want to try out those huge, gigantic dildos you've always dreamed of. Well, you can get your nut while earning points towards discounts and free gifts, because Spectrum have just launched their loyalty rewards program. Use code GIRLSGUTSGIALLO for 10% off your purchase at SpectrumBoutique.com. That's GIRLSGUTSGIALLO just like the name of the podcast, for 10% off at SpectrumBoutique.com. And follow them at Shop Spectrum Boutique on Instagram and Shop Spectrum on Twitter. Your whole will thank you. I wanted to like it out of spite because of the moral panic around it. Yeah, yeah. 
I really did. And, you know, I know that we're both like lovers of extreme cinema and it's very often very misunderstood, you know, kind of like turfy, you know, uh, adjacent feminists are kind of deride these films. And I always, you know, am so separate from that, that right. it's almost like kind of novel for me to watch something and be like, OK, this is actually too misogynist for me. completely because like i love like lars von trier i love like kill bill is one of my favorite movies i was actually thinking a lot about um l did you like l i love l i love l and actually i think the rape scenes in l are a lot more explicit than they are in blonde but they they like further the plot and i think the actual interest in the the actual events of a rape is more um holistic than this this kind of just like vague suggestion of a rape with like some disgusting squish sounds you know it's like to examine the point of violation is like way more interesting than to just be like she was raped and then she killed herself you know yeah <laughs> like, i completely agree and in l the rape you know kind of gets the gravity that it deserves yeah. where it's not fantastically sort of portrayed like there's a very very much an element of fantasy in blonde whereas in l it's like very you know kind of ugly in your face this is what happens during an event real like time. this. Yeah, yeah, real time. And it's almost, it's it's such a, a horrible departure from the everyday realities of your life. And yet at the same time, the mundanity of it persists uh, even through how horrible this is. Like, you know, when, when, the, when Isabelle Huppert will see just certain objects that remind her of the moment where she was raped and, you know, she's back there in that headspace where she's like staring at an object during this assault, which is exactly what that experience is actually like. Um, you know, the, the life still goes on around you. Uh, and in this one, life is like suspended in this moment of this like fantastical sequence I mean, the beginning where she gets her first movie part uh, through getting um, like just essentially bent over and raped like immediately by Mr. Z, Uh, you know, and in the book, I feel like this is a very important distinction. In the book, Mailer and Oates, they both talk about this supposed incident and in various and various points, they they both emphasize that these violations are anal violations. So um, right. they just changed it to you know plain old ambiguous rape in the movie. So I guess that was a step too far <laughs> for them. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Apparently, a ton was cut right. from. Yeah, the we Dominic don't know. Yeah. So maybe we got an asshole cam in this in the extended <laughs> cut. You know, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a vagina cam. The vulva cam was also just like, I'm like, in any other movie, it, like, if you were to write a movie about a fictional character, when would it be appropriate to just have a vulva cam? Like, I don't think that that... 
<laughs> or birth canal cam. I don't think that that would make it interesting in any other in any other thing. And I don't think it was interesting in this. It was kind of shocking and titillating, but um, I don't think that that would fly. Uh, in any other movie, but it's just kind of riding on the fact that you're shocked that you're seeing Marilyn do this. like, Yeah, absolutely. Or be subjected to this, rather. Yes, and it's just so graphic and unnecessary. And, you know, I... Um, did you ever see the movie Love by Gaspar Noé? Uh, pieces of it, yeah. There's, like, those extended threesome scenes, and I believe there's, like, the the... Volva cam and then in also in enter the void there's the um the birth cam uh another one of his movies and in those it kind of works um and in i i don't know i mean there's something about it just inherently where i'm like why why <laughs> but, <laughs> um in this one it's especially like why is this happening and the yeah. I don't know. The fact that you can see sort of like the details of like her labia in the the vagina yeah. cam. I mean, there's just so much. It's just it just feels like it delights in degrading this person. <laughs> totally. And like in the in the most traumatic moment where she's being forced to abort or we're, we're led to believe that she's being forced to abort, then we have to uh, focus in on the details of her anatomy. <laughs> like, what, like, what does that have to do with anything? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's another good point. Like, what does that have to do with the mental headspace that she's in making like experiencing this? Yeah, it took me out of the scene completely. Like, it was like, she was having that, like, um, that moment before where she was like, I don't want to do it. And they're kind of, like, forcing her. It's like, at least that's something, you know? It's a little, like, generic or whatever. But it's like, at least that's an event, something that's happening. And then it's like... It was just it had the, a kind of saw quality to the the scenes in the the operating room. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. what are we doing here? Yeah, it's very. I mean, in trying to show something that a woman may have gone through at that time, it sort of pivots back to being almost like pro life. Um, <laughs> it really, you know, and I don't say that lightly. Like, I don't think that just because movies portray something that the movie is like morally endorsing it. But I actually think in this one that this is there is like a weird pro life strain to this movie. Um, well, reading the like reading the views of and Andrew Dominic. <laughs> I would not be surprised if that were the case. He'd be like, yeah, those dumb whores should keep their dumb kids. Like, <laughs> like the way that he speaks is fucking abhorrent. Like, yeah, I he's reprehensible. <laughs> yeah. Believe it. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, I don't think I've seen any of this guy's other movies, but like to be able to make an NC-17 movie about Marilyn Monroe, like a big budget movie. I'm like, how did this fucking guy get this job? Yeah, and, and be he's able been to talk working like on this. it for 10 I mean, years. He's not Lars von Trier with like an actual like 
a historic like pedigree. Like he, who is this fucking guy? <laughs> you know. <laughs> I know it's like insulting. You're like, okay, you made the assassination of Jesse James. Like, who? In you now, you feel like you can. I mean, there's something. There is kind of like a mishmash in this movie. It's one of the only movies that I think saying is like Lynchian is kind of accurate. There is uh-huh. like a Lynchian quality to it, but there's also like that Lars von Trierian kind of quality to it of the shocking imagery. But it kind of feels like it's just cobbling together a bunch of other shocking things. It feels very film school. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's very. It feels like someone's like, like if Jeff Bezos's kid was like an asshole who went to film school <laughs> and just had all the money at their disposal, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, and then he's so pompous about it too. I mean, in that interview with Christina Newland, and I know that on Twitter, the fucking film bros were so mad at her for this because she dares to be lightly you know questioning of him in this interview Mm. and I think that more film criticism should be like that I think more let's go back to actually criticizing things and not just making things PR for the movie Yes. (laughs) yeah and I think you know good for her for taking him to task here and it it took him a decade to make this and you know, it's there was a ton of media buzz around it because it's a Netflix production that's rated NC-17, which is kind of unheard of. I mm-hmm. wanted to love it because of that. Me too. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> I really did. And uh, Andrew Dominic says, the visual idea of the movie is to reference the collective memory. It's a weird deja vu, but the meaning of the images is different. So the image of her and Arthur Miller at the window is a romantic image, but in the film, it's kind of ugly. She's trapped in our memory of her and trying to break out of it. It's a movie about the unconscious, and we only know as much as she does because she's essentially living an unexamined life. I think that in some ways, the film, there's like a kernel of something there. Um, Sure. Like there's in some ways the film, I think the way that the film recreates the photographs of her is really beautiful. That was really cool. Yeah. That was, cool. That was the best part to me. That And that was actually something that kept me watching was just how visually beautiful the film was. And mm-hmm. I get what he's saying there. You know, she only really exists now in these images we have of her. I guess I just feel like that's so overexplored about her already. Um, (laughs) kind of all people make about her and I would actually like to see I think I would like to see something else at this point she all he also said I think Marilyn was a guy's girl I don't think she was a woman who had a lot of female friends insane what what an insane assumption Uh, but I think she was a woman who didn't have a lot of friends there is a sense that we want to reinvent her according to today's political concerns but she was a person who was extraordinarily self-destructive literally patently untrue like she had yeah really close relationships with other women like her acting teachers and she apparently had affairs with a bunch of women which you know if we can't verify any of the rape and abortion i don't know why we can't explore any of this either like we can't verify this either so you know why not all of the supposed lesbianism 
there's so much there in her book, Marilyn Monroe, um, uh, his book, Marilyn Monroe, My Little Secret by Tony Jarris. Uh, he's he kind of recounts that he meets this woman, Jane, Jane Lawrence, in her old age, who um, tells her his um, tells him her story about how she had a sexual relationship with Marilyn. Uh, she was the daughter of an RKO executive at 12 years old. Marilyn asked her to help run her fan club at the studio, and she said that she had sex with Marilyn at 15, and this relationship Ooh. was, I, yeah, <laughs> and this relationship <laughs> was sexual on and off until Marilyn's death. So I feel like if we're going to explore some of the really complex stuff around this character, we can actually explore. There's so much more that we can go into. Um, and maybe even, you know, some of the more unsavory aspects of her as having some kind of predation going on. I mean, now that's a movie. Exactly. Like. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because we always yeah. think of her as a victim. And right. in this case, I mean, even though in the book, Jane Lawrence is very like kind of, you know, it's a good memory for her. Um, yeah. It's... You know, there's there's so much there. There's so much to say there. And I feel like, obviously, we can't verify any of this. But we can't verify anything in the Andrew Dominic movie either. So... Mm-hmm. Well, part one of the I forget which reading it was that you sent me. But the one where they're... Oh, it's from the Feud book where they're talking about uh, Joan Crawford and hers. Um alleged meeting Mm -hmm. yes that was like so juicy so juicy very like uh all about eve very showgirls very like very fan fiction but like i can see it you know (laughs) like not not terrible fan fiction yeah all these books written by these old queens too i mean like tony (laughs) jarris and then sean considine who wrote the book that the feud, uh, the TV show Feud, is based on that the that that passage comes from. These are all like these old like Hollywood queens, and yeah. they they write these wonderful salacious things. We have no idea if they're true or not, but I choose to believe them. Uh, <laughs> like Joan Crawford was said to have sex with Marilyn, and some say that Joan made a pass and was rebuffed, and that's why she would kind of badmouth Marilyn in the press. And others say... I love that. I know, I'm obsessed. Because also, Christina Crawford has been like, my mom was a lesbian. Yes, Christina Crawford has said that uh, she would often walk in on Joan Crawford having affairs with women. Others say that Joan seduced Marilyn one afternoon, but Marilyn was off-put by Joan howling like a wolf when she came. Which I sounds hot to me, but... I mean, that's amazing. I know. <laughs> That's a movie. <laughs> That's a movie. <laughs> yeah, show yes, me that. Maybe like if they did a hard turn into like a uh, raunchy comedy where she's like <laughs> she's like, "Oh, I can't fuck Joan anymore. She's she's the wolf woman, you know." Like that's that's good. That's fantasy. Yeah, exactly. I want some of these fantasies. I want there's another incident where Brigitte Bardot said that they were both at a royal variety performance in London. They found themselves alone in the bathroom together, never met before. And Bardot said that Marilyn walked over to her, grabbed her, kissed her, and walked out. 
That's amazing. Wow. <laughs> I know. And it's, you know, there's so many stories of her bisexuality that I'm like, well, obviously it's true. I mean, also, of course, I, it's not like so far-fetched that like a, a an eccentric intellectual artist would be queer. <laughs> so Yeah, of course. Yeah. And like... It seems like her marriages were more or less, like, professional affairs. And, like, uh, a, a marriage in that day was, was like, a part of your public persona. And she was so brilliant and meticulous at creating public persona. So it's like, of course she married fucking Joe DiMaggio and Arthur Miller and stuff. It's like that she knew that she had to do that, you know? Can we talk about how she calls both her husbands in the movie Daddy? I wanted to kill myself. I felt like I was listening to Lana Del Rey. Like it was. was someone on Twitter so said it's wretched. a three-hour Lana Del Rey music video. It is. It's so wretched. It's like it. Yeah, it feels like a gay guy like telling me to listen to Red Scare over and over again. <laughs> like, it's like it sounds like a fucking it's like, nightmare. It's really good. No, it's really good because of this and this and this. It's like uh, yeah, I heard I heard you in the first five minutes, but. You know, and then it's like when when she starts pulling the daddy shit, I was just like, what are we doing here? I'm sorry, daddy. I mean, it's Uh. in the book. It's like kind of even more egregious because sometimes we slip into Marilyn's or Norma Jean's really um, point of view and she's narrating and uh, Joyce Carol Oates does this thing where she leaves spaces between <laughs> the words to indicate like the breathiness. I did see that in a, I saw a passage of that, yeah. Yeah. And it's, I'm like, do you guys really think that she talked like that all the time? It's- <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the other thing was it was like this whole idea about. Marilyn being a facade. There is no Marilyn Monroe. I'm not Marilyn Monroe. Blah, 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 blah. And then, but she never was anything but that kind of Mickey Mouse cartoon of Marilyn Monroe. And it was all about this, like, degradation of person or, like, um, uh, destruction of Norma Jean through these, like, continued abuses but it's like she starts as mickey mouse and she ends as mickey mouse at some point she's like pilled up mickey at some point she's like mickey getting beat up but it's like she never there there is no evolution and she's always this cartoon and like it i mean if we're gonna like throw more art school ideas onto the fire let's just do it because i was like i was like this movie could have really done with some kind of a breaking the fourth wall moment where it's like this this is all a farce this is all like <laughs> this is all um obscene absurd all of this like why don't we like have Ana de Armas like take off the wig at some point and then like be like what do I really have to do like something like that where it's like you could have pushed the um the novel into maybe something that Joyce Carol Oates like aimed for and failed at you could have done that with the film but it just seemed interested in like reveling in these kind of Grand Theft Auto ideas of, like, what a woman is, you know? <laughs> like, 
Yeah, I completely agree with you. And on your um, bonus episode on your Patreon for Nympho Wars, you had uh, kind of like a reflection episode about this movie. And I actually <laughs> thought that that was such a great idea that you proposed that there should be a sort of breaking of the fourth wall there. Um, they're already kind of, they slightly are doing it. I mean, right. Anna de Armas has an accent. It's like she's obviously yeah. not Marilyn Monroe, which... I just felt like because they didn't push that enough, it just was kind of distracting. Whereas if it was they, distracting and yeah. it made her seem bad in the role. But I don't know if that's, I don't know if, I don't think it's her fault. I think it's like what she was given, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think she, I, I mean, I think her performance is one of the best things about the movie. Like she really yeah. does give it her all and she looks so much like her and she, there's moments of real, like, wonderful acting chops here, uh, mm-hmm. but they don't, it, it's not enough. Like, the accent, like we're saying, it seems kind of unintentional because they don't push that enough. Like you said, some moment that's not in the book, if they could have put something in here to remind us that this is a, a fiction uh, you know, like you're saying, she takes the wig off or something, or um, maybe like Todd Salon style, like the actress changes throughout the movie. Um, yes, yes, yeah. yes. Um, or uh, the Bob Dylan movie, I'm not there. I think it's I'm not there. Or I'm yeah, not where it's yeah. like Kate Blanchett is Bob Dylan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that could have been compelling. I think the I, I might have liked it more. Um, or like a scene where like she's playing both Jane Russell and Marilyn Monroe or something like that, you know, like it would have been handled a lot better, I think, by a David Lynch or someone or like even like Lars von Trier if he was in like Dogville mode. Or I was something. just thinking Dogville. Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, that's one of those that is a, another like three hour exploration of the <laughs> degradation of a woman, but it's really successful. Yeah. I agree. I love Dogville. Yeah. And it's successful because it's constantly calling attention to the artifice. So it yes. doesn't feel like a misogynist tome so much as like, an exploration of degradation and exaltation in more of like an existential sense. <laughs> uh, yes, the the set, like, I mean, this is what we're talking about we wished was in Blonde. It's like the set gives it this um, space for you to think about the, um, the, uh, philosophical shit that's going on in the story rather than like focusing on like yes exactly yeah yeah i i agree i mean in your podcast you mentioned uh mother which i know you're a big fan of that movie which i love mother i which is really (laughs) i I really don't like mother but i want to hear why you why mother works for you because this to me was like kind of mother adjacent almost uh-huh. the um, first like 20 minutes seemed l- like a sequel <laughs> yeah so what is what works about mother for you versus this um i thought mother was so the my favorite parts of blonde are the beginning scenes where it's like kind of 
removed from time and space. They're in the weird house. They're, like, talking to each other in a strange way. It's, like, very... It's, like, hitting you over the head with this, like, poor... Uh, backstory, like the <laughs> this like poverty storyline, this like uh, mentally unwell mother storyline. But it's like it's so strange that you're like it. It's not um, harmful, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. And um, and uh, that was kind of what mother. Uh, felt like to me it was like the idea of this house and they're not leaving the house and it was framed kind of like a horror movie um and it was like the plot was just like very mysterious but you knew that we were working with these kind of like not exactly human people or like it 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 was structured like a typical thriller but we you could tell the whole time that it's not working on the same rules. And then at the end, it's revealed to be this kind of like gonzo crazy thing that it's been promising to be. Um, And that's like, I think those are the big strengths of Mother. Yeah, I mean, it also, to me, I guess this blonde and Mother kind of falls into that trap of like men trying to make feminist art. Um, Like, I definitely think that Mother is much less exploitative. I mean, it's also, you know, a more of a metaphor, right? Like, it's about Mother yeah. Earth. Uh, right. Not necessarily just, like, a woman being <laughs> abused over and over again. Yeah. Uh, um, there's, like, an like you said in your podcast, there's, like, more of an artfulness to it. Uh, whereas this, even though it's pretty ham fisted, it's like, it's not like, (laughs) yeah, for sure. I mean, this is not subtle at all. uh, It's just kind of, you know, as much as I'm loathe to say it is just kind of edgelordy. Um, it totally is. Yeah. I'm like, every every time someone like (laughs) doesn't like mother, I'm like, I agree with you. <laughs> Valid points. For I mean, some I reason, feel like worked, that about a lot of movies I me. like too. I'm like, I yeah. listen, I get it. <laughs> um, I'm not. I also thought it was really, it worked really well as a uh, dark comedy. Like, if you, you know. I mean, I think like, that's the other thing about movies like this, about like Blonde or Mother, is like when like queer people go into it we're like this is amazing it's hilarious and i'm like i don't know if they intended it but some parts of blonde i was like this is i'm simply enthralled because it's so ridiculous yeah i was i saw it in the theater and i was bursting out laughing (laughs) at the the whole time pretty much i was like just the audacity i was like what the fuck (laughs) yeah and then you know part of me is just like at least we get some meat to talk about in this like sanitized culture we're living in right now like at least there's some like something juicy to to talk about i mean the the talking fetus um why did you kill me like it's not okay and the the weird like sci-fi element to where it was like it she was like but that wasn't you that was another baby and the baby was like 
no, it was me still. I'm the same baby. <laughs> like, what? Where does this rule come into play? Yeah, it was, let's, let's do more of this. <laughs> right. It was like almost directly called from some kind of like pro-life propaganda commercial or something. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, he, Andrew Dominic says, I've read everything there is to read about Marilyn Monroe. I've met people that knew her. I've done an enormous amount of research. But in the Patently end... Patently false. Patently false. I don't believe him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but in the end, it's about the book. And adapting the book is really about adapting the feelings that the book gave me. Okay. I see the film in some ways as Joyce's vision of Marilyn, which is also really Joyce. So I think the film is about the meaning of Marilyn Monroe, or a meaning. She was symbolic of something. She was the Aphrodite of the 20th century, the American goddess of love, and she killed herself. So what does that mean? Nobody really knows what the fuck happened. So it's all fiction anyway, in my opinion. Well... (laughs) I mean, okay. <laughs> yes. Um, it, it's just, I, and then he says, I've done an enormous amount of research, but then he hasn't seen gentlemen prefer blondes. Right, right. Which is her most famous film. So yeah. it's, it's the and film it's where she became Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like, you you just went on YouTube? Like, what happened? Right, um, you just saw the Material Girl music video? Right. <laughs> I mean, that idea of being like, well, it's just about the book. It's just about the feeling. It's like that. It's a cop-out. It's a cop out because it's not saying anything, you know. Right. <laughs> it's yeah. like if you were using the life of Marilyn Monroe and like fictionalizing it to say something other than like women get raped, like um, that would be fine, I guess. Like the I like um, the uh, Last Temptation of the Christ was kind of that, you know, um, where it's like these it, fictionalized or embellished things happen and. It's, I don't know, to shed new light on something. But yeah, it was like, all, we were just getting Refrigerator Magnet Marilyn, but like the NC-17 version. You're absolutely right. I mean, Last Temptation of Christ is a great example because that's another very controversial movie. Uh, the right. Catholic Church was very upset when that film came out. But the reason it works is, one, because you know, we actually don't know anything about Jesus Christ because, (laughs) you know, there's not like Marilyn Monroe exists in the modern age, but it, it, and also because there's something new being said. There's nothing really new in this movie being said about her. So it's kind of just like well-tread ground almost. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's just an ode to everything that, has been said about her or been rumored about her, falsely spouted about her, but like made in a weird, bad art school way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's clearly like, they clearly threw a lot of money at this movie. Like there's sequences, like the sequence from seven year itch, where she's standing over the subway grate. And there's just like the endless (laughs) amount of men with the cameras taking photographs. I actually liked that. (laughs) I did too. That was one of the scenes where I was like, this works for me. Um, There, and you know, that was like, oh, maybe this is going to take a turn and I'm going to start really liking this movie. Um, 
but it, it was that moment, the moment with the waterfall threesome, that those are both great. Um, the moments, any of the moments where there's like a, a recreation of the photographs and they're moving photographs, I think are successful. Yeah, when she's getting dressed. Yeah. That was really good. Yeah, or the photographs with Arthur Miller. I think Andrew Dominic, it does do what he says he wanted it to do, where it's like romantic, but there's a specter of something dark there. I think that that was very successful. Um, But I just don't think that Andrew Dominic likes women enough to make (laughs) this movie. (laughs) Yeah, totally, totally. Did was there any um has Joyce Carol Oates like weighed in? She has not weighed in yet, but mm. I'm waiting and I, <laughs> I I'm kind of shocked. I know, right? Uh or maybe she ha I feel like I would have seen it. I feel like, you know, people would have been retweeting it or something. But there has yeah. been discourse about if, you know, a writer said, I believe her name is Therese Marie or Marie Therese, said that uh, literary non-hotties should not <laughs> write about being hypersexualized, glamorous women because they don't know what that's like, which... Oh, damn. I know. Shots fired. I know. I think that's so funny. Um, I I have often said as a joke that frumpy people shouldn't write about hot women because they don't know what it's like, and it's a complete joke. I don't actually believe that, but I couldn't yeah. believe that my joke just became like discourse, um, <laughs> and that we're at this place. I mean, there is like a kernel of something there. I think. Yeah. There, there is a certain kind of like turfy or swerfy, uh, like typically white cis woman who is like so anti-femininity to the point of it being like sexist. <laughs> um, that is definitely a thing. So and I actually do think that Joyce Carol Oates might fall into this category based on how she's talked about Marilyn Monroe in interviews around this book. Yeah, and how she's, like, if she is glamorous, if she is, like, using her body, uh, then she must be, like, a dumb baby, you know? (laughs) I mean, the whole movie, she's a dumb baby. And I guess, you know, I could say, oh, that's because that's how the world views her. But I just think that's a (laughs) cop-out to show her being a dumb baby again. Yeah, totally. Uh, and like I you in one of the passages you sent me, um I really liked uh I forget who it was, but somebody was talking about how she really loved to like swear and be obscene and be like shocking in conversation and um that tracks with someone who has the kind of persona that Marilyn did. I mean, even like in the few interview. I'm not a super fan of Marilyn Monroe at all. I don't really like care about her. Um, but uh, the few interviews that I have heard of her, it's like she's funny and kind of flippant and and like there's one where he's like the interviewer is like your life seems so great like haha and she's like no I'm pretty miserable most of the time. <laughs> like she's kind but of it's a like real that- one. Yeah, it's like that sounds like people that I know that maybe have a similar uh, output, you know, to the world. 
but interior, it's like they have a real grounded view of like how things work, how to interact with people, how um, sexuality works. Like, I don't know. It's like the it the um, the view of her as like a dumb baby. It seems like it could only come from someone who's either like a chronic masturbator or a like um someone who's like extremely inexperienced with like meeting different kinds of people you know yeah yeah totally and someone who's probably doesn't know a lot about sex work yes (laughs) and how smart and aware sex workers are of their situation yeah exactly i mean it's there's just this i this supposition in this film and in the work about her more generally that she fell into this and didn't know what she was doing and right it's you know or and that it was like completely you know miserable for her and um i'm sure there were a lot of factors that contributed to the misery of this situation and i'm sure it was more complicated for her and uh, you know where at the time she probably really loved her persona that she created and was very proud of it and then at other times was probably like i'm trapped in this and you know, I know that that's how I feel about my own public facing stuff. So I think that, yeah. you know, it's just so, so misogynist to just assume yes. that this woman had no idea what she was doing. And I know that I know what they were trying to accomplish, but I really do think that they reify that misogynist trope. And I have to think that that too because of what Dominic says in this interview about women when he says so when she sings diamonds are a girl's best friend it's like is that sisterly advice if you're gonna fuck make sure you get paid or is it just romanticized whoredom what (laughs) (laughs) yeah I yeah I think that you just kind of nailed Nail, hit the nail on the head uh, <laughs> of why this movie was so annoying is because it just rang so untrue the whole time. It's like every every decision that this person makes, every um, circumstance that she finds herself in, it th- there was no kernel of truth to who I know people like that to be. You yes. Know? Yeah, it felt like a. It felt like it was made by a man who doesn't really know women that well. That's all. Yes, and it's like to say something like that in an interview. It's like you, like no, like you've either never listened to a woman or like you have just been played by women because they know that you're a bullshit artist and they like are just trying to get you to go away as fast as possible, you know? Honestly, I think we solved the issue here, which is that Andrew Dominic is just an unself-aware trick. Yes, yes. He just is, he's romanticizing the whore in... (laughs) like such a detached way or that comment he makes that was actually taken out of the interview but Christina posted on Twitter where he says about um in gentlemen prefer blondes he's like so what they're well dressed whores like like what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> weren't they like a women's band in that movie yeah 
in were like, some <laughs> like it hot there's a women's band um, oh okay and, gentlemen and in gentlemen prefer blondes i mean they're just sugar babies that's all. Yeah. They're just sugar babies. <laughs> and well-dressed boys are some of the smartest people I know. So I, yeah, yeah. like we're saying, they just don't know. They don't know people like this, it feels like. Um, this cracked me up. What he says, it's so fucking self-important. <laughs> Blonde is supposed to leave you shaking like an orphaned rhesus monkey in the snow. It's a howl of pain and rage. Of all the films I've made, it's the one that strikes me the most differently each time I watch it. I love that he just admitted to watching his own movie like multiple times. Right. (laughs) Like Like an orphaned rhesus monkey in the snow. What the fuck is that even? (laughs) What? (laughs) <laughs> is is that like some Australian saying that we don't know? Oh yeah, it's like the racist monkey. <laughs> uh, oh, they always get caught in the snore. It's a fantasy. <laughs> like that's something oh, we're sure all supposed to be familiar with. <laughs> it's a howl of rage and pain. <laughs> <laughs> I know I love like you read it and you're like oh my god this guy's disgusting but then you think of it like that oh yeah bunch of well dressed whores and it's like oh you're just a clown <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I sincerely it's so funny because I just got a bunch of messages from like Australian listeners who are like I love <laughs> your podcast and now we're just mocking this oh one. I'm so sorry Australian listeners no I, I mean yeah. <laughs> it's too funny not to do. I mean, it's <laughs> an orphan racist monkey in the snap. Yeah, exactly. Like, you're a clown. Like, I don't know how we can take this seriously. Um, this is actually a quote from Justin Chang of the LA Times, who wrote a really great review of this film, um, which I mostly agree with. And he says, any truthful portrait of Norma Jean Baker, the woman who became Marilyn Monroe, would of course have to reckon with the tightly coiled double helix of her art and her tragedy. But Blonde is all tragedy, and its single-mindedness isn't just dull and punishing, but also wearyingly unimaginative. That's not something I would say about Oates' novel, a sprawling demolition of the Monroe mythos, that by freely revising and departing from the biographical record, arrives at its own tough truths about its subject. Framed as a sordid 20th century fairy tale, it achieves a far richer and more expansive kind of portraiture than this blunt instrument of a movie ultimately manages. And um, that's great. Yeah, that is great. And I actually do. The book is better than the movie, in my opinion. It, It actually does. I think he's right. The book actually does accomplish something. But my view of the book is just kind of ruined just reading Joyce Carol Oates' actual thoughts about Marilyn Monroe because I just don't <laughs> – I can't trust someone like that. I can't trust that. Um, yeah. It feels like she just doesn't understand some really crucial things about this person's narrative, and that's why we really need some re- like actual glamorous whores to write something – um, some well-dressed whores. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and yeah, he also says there's really no sense of her as the brilliant screen comedian, the joyous cinematic life force. 
Instead, Dominic operates by a simplistic dramatic equation that ties her greatest professional highs to her worst personal lows. How could Marilyn or anyone really take any joy in the applause for gentlemen prefer blondes when all she can think about is her guilt over her studio-ordered abortion? Yeah. It's weirdly pro-life. Like, it, it, (laughs) (laughs) it shows that she can't enjoy any of her accomplishments because of this abortion she had hanging over her head, which is exactly a pro-life narrative that you're never going to be able to enjoy your life again. You're always going to have this hanging over your head that you killed a baby and you'll never be able to move on. And it's this horrible thing in a woman's life like no one would ever want to go through. I mean, the fact that the baby comes back like multiple times and it's like haunting, it be, it becomes the kind of biggest tragedy of her life. It's like out of all these other horrific things you've shown, like the mom burning down the house, the sexual assault, the domestic violence. It's like this baby just keeps coming back. It's like, what? What? <laughs> Yeah, and with the mother, too, it feels kind of aggressively misogynist and very, like, demonizing of women with mental illness. I mean, there's no evidence that her – I mean, her mother was – you know, she did have a fraught background and she did experience abuse and she did move from home to home. Um, That's true. It's just complete poetic license and in service of what, I guess, is my question. Like, right. What just does that to add? like add another, like, another brick. Yeah, it just, yeah, it was just like, why do we need so many inciting incidents? Like, it's just bad writing, you know? Yeah. There's nothing to focus on. It's just like anything that you can think of that would give. It's like the, it, it felt like a Norman Bates background story you know it felt like Bates Motel vibes you know it's like what 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 is the point (laughs) I actually think that's a great point because I think that this movie plays into it's like more of a highbrow art version of something I actually really hate in media right now (laughs) which is like the overly tragic backstory yes the back the backstory industrial complex <laughs> like the jokerfication of everybody the, the jokerfication of everyone yeah exactly yes. like with uh stuff like ratchet or bates motel um yes. like there has to be this extremely tragic comically so backstory <laughs> to explain what what happened it's very linear it's very like not artful to me yes and that seems to be the thesis of this movie is this like not artful uh arrow shot from uh mom burns house down gets raped gets a forced to get abortion into suicide you know (laughs) yeah exactly and isn't what he says about Wow, you know, where Christina is like, well, what about her civil rights activism or that she started her own movie studio or that she supposedly had a library of over 400 books? Um, And Andrew Dominic is like, well, it's not about that. And it's like, isn't that just the essence of bigotry itself? Like, yeah, just taking your view of this marginalized person as a symbol of something 
and holding that up as a some kind of universal deep truth like that is the essence of the way that people reduce marginalized people to symbols of something completely so i just feel like we're at this cultural moment i don't know if you agree where there's a lot of backlash right now against the me too movement um Uh i just feel like we're kind of going into like the red scarification of discourse like yeah it's like the uh, it's everyone's sick of being too pc or whatever and so everyone's just going full reactionary that's exactly it that's the perfect summary oh yeah it feels like it's trying to take um me too like fears of me too like i guess agreeing with me too but take it to like a grotesque height but it's like too late and it's shit that everybody knows you know it's like if you're a woman you already know this exactly and that's like that's like a big failure in having this guy do this story is like and I mean it's like whatever it's like anybody can tell whatever fucking story they want like people want to get mad that when people say like they were the wrong person to tell this story but it's like this is the problem when people like Andrew Dominic try to tell the story of Marilyn Monroe it's like it just comes off as fucking phony and contrived and empty you know People get mad at, like, that it's, like, uh, people, I I guess, like, red scared (laughs) type people are, like, get mad that everything has to be about diversity or, um, or, like, some people can tell certain stories and some people can't tell other stories, but it's, like, if this was made by a woman, it would be a completely different film, and I think it would be a lot more watchable film, or even someone who is empathetic to women, you know? It doesn't even have to be a woman. It can be, like, just someone who's not, like, outwardly... Contemptful uh, of women? Idiotic. <laughs> yeah, contemptful. Yeah. Yes. Full of hatred yeah, against no, women. no, absolutely, and that's gonna come out in their work, and I... You know, I think in reaction to a lot of the puritanical sort of like overly PC discourse, like you're right. I mean, there's a lot of backlash because, you know, people will say like, oh, people, you know, people who have experienced this should tell their own story. And then there's, you know, a lot of backlash against that. And I don't, you know, I like a lot of stuff made by misogynist men. Um, So I I totally, I'm sympathetic to a lot of this, but like you just said, there would be a different tenor to this if it was made by a woman. And we just can't, like, when I was watching it, I just couldn't stop thinking about how Andrew Dominic made this and his comments about <laughs> it. And it's, yeah, there's just, I'm, I'm thinking of in my, uh, in my book club for my Patreon, we were reading an Octavia Butler book, Fledgling, and it's a very controversial book. It's about a, uh, a vampire uh, who is a grown woman who is in a, the body of a 12-year-old, and she has sex with adults. And it's, you know, a, it's a wonderful book about, you know, power and uh, race. And 
somebody in the book club said actually the the person who wrote these notes shout out to Fallon Gold for being the resident Marilyn Monroe expert you know she was saying mm-hmm. that part of her experience with this book is that she trusted Octavia Butler to write this story and yes. I don't know it's one of those like separating the art from the artist thing like we can we enjoy things that are made by bad people and um you know, like, yes and no. I mean, it's not either or. It's never either or. Like, we're going to, yeah. if you know that Octavia wrote, Butler wrote this book, you're going to feel differently reading it than if some white dude wrote this book about a 12-year-old black child having sex with adults. Like, <laughs> you're yeah, just totally. going to have a different experience of it. And it's very, it's much in the same way of Blonde. It's like, I can't watch this movie and not think about how the director who spent 10 years of his life making this still has nothing but contempt and exploitation to talk about in his film about right right that says something to me yeah and it comes off as like a fantasy of his you know it's like that's all that he can access from this person. And it's like the scene where she gives JFK a like pilled out. We didn't even talk about that. It's uh, a horrible, horrible scene. (laughs) It's, I was like physically repulsed. It was like, she's like giving him like a pilled out hand job and then like a blow job. And then all of a sudden it's on a screen of a movie theater and he's wearing like a uh, like girdle, and it's just like he's like in bed talking on the phone, it's so and it's nasty. like just it's disgusting, and it's like I don't even know. I mean, I guess at that point, the the or at that point in the film, it's like the point was just to like shit on her further like smear shit in this woman's face. It's like that was the goal of that scene, you know? It's like there was no choice she just literally stumbled into the room was like pushed into the room is like treated like furniture to this guy and then like pushed onto a plane literally yeah i mean she the extended blowjob scene where i mean it's definitely shot like pornography on purpose i think i mean it's like this very pov shot of you don't see the dick in her mouth but you basically see everything but that where you know you see um, yeah. her mouthing blowjobs and it's on this giant theater scene like you said and there is a uh, supposed I'm, I'm sure that this was referencing this there is a supposed like stag film uh, with Marilyn Monroe it's probably not her it's been disproven uh, but apparently there was a film of her giving a blowjob um, and I think it sold at an auction for like millions, but it's actually not her. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, that's interesting Wait, not to me. JFK. Yeah, no, 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 no. Okay. But um, I'm sure that there's some kind of reference to the imagery of that film. And, you know, this could have said something actually very smart about the way that people are obsessed with finding Marilyn Monroe pornography like there was also supposedly a sex tape with her and Joe DiMaggio that I don't think is real Mm. um and 
they it, the film could have said something really interesting about that by breaking the fourth wall and there like you said and there's an attempt with the movie theater thing but it just doesn't go it doesn't mm-hmm. go there it doesn't go to the interesting place it's just Right. Yeah. If she had been like, people are always obsessed with like seeing me with a dick in my mouth, and like, why is that? So you know, it's like that could be like, it would be it would be kind of hacky, but you know, it's something. You know. Yeah. Or like the um, all of a sudden the blowjob is on a theater screen, but it's like in an auction or something. Yeah. 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 Like something. (laughs) Like like you said, it would have been kind of hacky, but at least it would have been saying something. well, it could have tied into the the um, actual, like, f- interesting formal thing about this movie, which was the recreation of footage, to recreate, like, a found stag film that ends up being fake, and then, like, maybe the actress switches. Like, that would have been interesting, you know? And then it becomes about... Um, like physical media and the buy and buying and selling of physical media and what that means, and, like the authenticity of that and how that just has as much to do with the authenticity of the story. Like now we're giving it too much credit by rewriting it. I mean, I was like, you just wrote a way better movie. (laughs) 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 Like just off the top of your head. (laughs) Well, so much of this movie feels like bullet points, you know, it's just not fleshed out. And the, like, the blackmail of her photos to Joe DiMaggio, like, what is that real? That no. is not real, but there was apparently, it was very scandalous when those came out, but instead of it being, she was actually a very, um, I don't know if empowering is the right word, but she was actually able to take control of her own narrative, like, historically with that. She was just giving very, like, sort of cheeky comments about it. The studio wanted to cover it up, and she was like, no, this, I'm just going to talk about it, which is amazing to do that at that time. And, I mean, people still can't really do that. So to... And, you know, she got in front of the press and the press said, are you wearing anything in these photographs? And she just goes, well, I had the radio on. (laughs) (laughs) Or they said, do you have have anything on in these photos? And she's like, I had the radio on. There's a great uh, Lady Gaga unreleased song called Nothing On But The Radio. I bet that's Oh, I'm sure, so sure. Yeah, so <laughs> exactly. There's so many moments that could have been chosen and that are just, you know, it just becomes about Joe DiMaggio beating the shit out of her, which um, apparently he was actually very abusive. So um, that might be accurate. It's like, at least it's true. I, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, but but then that has no currency here, so why include it? You're like, so right. Like, what is, yeah, you know? what currency does any of the truth have here when you're insisting that it's not true? I'm like, make it Chicago or something. Like, make something interesting up. Yeah. <laughs> That's just yeah. what I kept like, I was like, none of this is interesting. It's simply lurid. Like, it's just, um, it's just like, masturbation material i don't know yeah and then of course there's the whole question of i don't want to take more of your time but just briefly there's the whole question of like is this even ethical to make and i personally you know there there has been that quote going around where um marilyn monroe was asked to do a gene harlow 
biopic and that was one of her idols and she turned it down and uh you know she said i hope no one makes a movie like that about me when i'm dead uh oh shit it's like oh girl <laughs> there's been she basically like gave us her uh will <laughs> like... yeah <laughs> people are like well <laughs> there's uh, i mean there, wonder there's... what it means <laughs> what could it mean <laughs> She's just so mysterious, you know? It's hard to say what she actually would have wanted. Um. Yeah. <laughs> she's speaking in riddles. <laughs> I don't want it. How could we possibly understand what she meant? <laughs> and, um, of course, like, that. there's been so many movies about her made. Um, yeah. And, you know, I'm, like, kind of of two minds where I, you know, on the one hand, I'm, like, this person is part of like the collective imagination so it's unrealistic to say that no one's ever going to make a movie about her or they they shouldn't and on the other hand um she was a real person and there are people that loved her and it's almost kind of like with the Dahmer series where I'm like I feel like though if you're gonna do this at least make it good that's all I mean the Dahmer one at least seems to be somewhat obsessive with like facts mm-hmm. um and like recreating things exactly as they happened which it's like i don't know if that's commendable but like right at Especially least you have something that. to yeah yeah at, le- at least you have something to grab onto but with this it's like why is it so boring that was like <laughs> just forget everything that we've said so far why is it boring? It's so boring. <laughs> yeah, it's really drawn out. It didn't need to be three hours. No fucking way in hell. I mean, it might have been, like, at least kind of entertaining if it had kind of a wham, boom, flash, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, aspect yeah. to the pacing of it. But, yeah, Jesus. I mean, my I, when I watched it with my girlfriend and she was really bored and she was like, this is crap. I think I was less bored because I was on ketamine. So full disclosure, (laughs) (laughs) there were parts of it where I was like, wow, like really like K-holing. That's really smart, actually. (laughs) Honestly, you know, incriminating. But if you're going to watch, if you do ketamine and you're going to watch this movie, watch it on ketamine. You'll have a really good time. (laughs) Uh, But even through the ketamine, I was able to see that this is a... A, a fool's errand or kind of like a just kind of a farce honestly um yeah. so with that said <laughs> um now that i've exposed myself as a ketamine user um <laughs> surprised um macy thank you so so much for joining me this was I, I really, really enjoyed myself talking to you about this movie. Me too. Yeah, I mean, it's a thrill. I've been, um, it's like one of those movies where it's like, I hate talking about it, but I have to talk about it. I'm like possessed. Like I, had, I know. Yeah, it's, it's almost in that way, you know, like I said, it's almost kind of thrilling that we have something controversial and sleazy to chew on because that so rarely happens nowadays. True. I mean, something was achieved. Yeah, exactly. So if anything, I'm happy to have something controversial 
in cinema to talk about and um i mean i also just am kind of reminded of how like extreme cinema lovers we just have such like a strong backbone because like you said when somebody hates a movie that i like i'm like yeah i get it uh <laughs> whereas like you know sallow for example is one of my all-time favorite movies and oh amazing yeah and people will often be like i don't think i can watch that i'm like yeah i mean fair like there's a bunch yeah, of teenagers eating, eating shit. shit yeah exactly <laughs> um and then but then i think of like and also being sexually abused exactly <laughs> yeah and then i i think of um like marvel fans who like you can't even say anything without getting attacked on the internet and i'm like wow we just have like such a strong backbone i can hate something and also like be really good friends with someone who loves it or whatever um because it creates these polarizing reactions and i love that about it yeah i mean that is like that's like why this kind of cinema is um that's what makes it interesting is that it's like uh provocative purposely provocative and like there are um there are movies that uh that i think provoke something worthwhile and other ones that are just simply provocative like uh, for the hell of it yeah <laughs> yeah to be provocative um, yeah and it's it's like that that's cool but like i don't think that this is as like important as you think it is you know <laughs> well and he kind of even says that in the interview like he at once holds it up as this really lofty important thing and then in the same breath at the end of the interview he's like i mean it's just a movie like when he's like when people people who make movies think they're awfully important but at the end of the day it really is just a movie and there's so many movies about her and I was like, I mean, yeah, but kind of a cop out, you know, considering, you know, you did make it and it's three hours and you people spent a lot of money And you money said to this whole thing about the monkey. Yeah, yeah <laughs> You exactly. said this whole thing about the monkey in the snow. Like, it means something to you. Exactly. That's also so, such a guy thing is to be like, yeah, but you know, it's like, oh, it's whatever. Uh, like. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, okay, I, I don't care that. about it. The suffering of women is just like, whatever to you. Got it. <laughs> it's just a plot point. Yeah, it's this kind of like dismissive macho thing of like, you obviously care about this and you're pretending to feel so blasé about it and you clearly right. don't. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's very big dad energy. <laughs> yeah, big dad energy. Big daddy energy. <laughs> And at the end, when she, like, dies and joins her daddy among the stars, I was like, give me a fucking break. Yeah, I mean, even that, it's like she should have been, like, walking and then, like, tried to, like, tap him on the shoulder. And then he, like, just is, like, a cardboard cutout or something. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God, I would have died laughing. <laughs> <laughs> and then she, like, commits suicide again in heaven. Everybody follow Macy on social media and please listen to Nympho Wars. It's so fucking funny. I cannot emphasize enough. My girlfriend will often like walk into the room and I'm like crying, laughing. And she's like, what the hell are you listening to? <laughs> and it just consistently reduces me to tears. Um, and thank you so much for joining me, Macy. Oh, yes. Anytime. Anytime.